You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. And I'd like to begin today by calling in the helping spirits to gather around us here today and to help us as the living to do what we have come into this day to do. So I call out first to our ancestral helping spirits, yours and mine, and anyone who will listen to this show at any time, yours as well. I call out to all of those who will connect with this show and all of their ancestors who lived well and died well and bring to each one of us our legacy, that we might listen to those who have gone before us so that they can assist us in doing what must be done today in the world in better ways, that we may hold true to those things that are essential for human beings to grow, to mature, to live well, and to make beauty, and that we may release those things that no longer serve us, forgive and heal and move on and let go so that we can start solving problems in new ways that are actually solutions not just temporary fixes that will breed three more problems in the future. So I call out to those ancestors who lived life well and ask them to be with us here today that we might understand better how to be fully and completely human. And with the ancestors gathered round us, I give thanks to their presence and move into my body and ask you each to do the same, to move into your heart and from your heart into your belly and your belly down, through your legs into the earth, into this great and most essential ancestor, the earth. Let us reach our energy down into the earth, all the way down to the center of the earth, and with our energy, let us bring our gratitude, our gratitude for this day, our gratitude for beauty. Our gratitude for the wonder and the mystery of life and for the fact that in this day you are part of that great web of life. And we give thanks to the earth for this opportunity. We give thanks to the earth for home and place and thanks to the wisdom of manifestation for it is on this face of this planet that we can see if we leave things to their own devices so many many beings of many great great diversity living well in these things we call ecosystems and may we learn to find our place within those systems in a way that brings harmony and abundance and nurtures life for all So we reach down into the earth and we call up this energy of the earth to bring to us the wisdom of manifestation and to help us to find in this day the sense of belonging, a sense of groundedness, connection, home and hearth, a sense of caring. We call out to the earth to help us to feel the interconnection and the great oneness of all things and may we have the blessing in this day to slow down enough to shift our focus enough to have at least one moment where we sense our true place in that great oneness and recognize that great web of life of which we are part so we give thanks to the earth for her presence and we draw this energy up into our body 
from our bellies to our hearts, our hearts to our minds, and we send this energy up and out all the way up through the sky, the atmosphere and into the cosmos and all the way out to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you call that power, I invite you to call it down. I invite you to call this energy down and bring into your life protection, bring into your life blessing, bring into your life generosity. And to bring into your life, into this day, into these proceedings, the great benevolence of our existence. So we call in this energy that brings into our life the mentors along the way and the champions of our causes. We call this energy in that we might find the devotion and the excellence necessary to do what we are called to do. And we draw this energy down with great thanks for all the wisdom of the cosmos that comes with it. We draw it into our head and into our heart and all the way down into our belly. And so within us, in our bodies, these two great lovers, the yin and the yang, the earth and the sky, dance within us in this dance of life of which we are all born. And with this great yin-yang wholeness within us, moving and finding balance for us here today, we call forth the spirit of the heart. Let each of you call out to the energy of your human heart and ask it to be present and open up in its form as a crucible, to call up the fiery passions of the belly and call down the crystal clarity of the mind so that these energies within you can come together in your heart to move and dance just like the yin and yang energies Um, nurturing and replenishing each other and not destroying and giving birth to life. And so we let the fiery passions of your belly and the crystal clarity of your mind come together in your heart and give birth to your own true purpose. And may you find the courage in your heart to know your uniqueness and do something in this day to bring that uniqueness out and make it manifest in the world. So with the spirits called in, we give thanks for their guidance and protection May all that needs to be said here today be said, and that which needs to be heard be heard, and may all of it go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I give gratitude for the helping spirits around us, and I give thanks for the spirits in the people who have offered their energy to help this show to stay alive and well and on the air and free to those who have access to the internet. So I want to thank Rebecca and Deborah. Malama and Paul and those who have donated to the show in this past week. If this show is meaningful to you in any way, if it moves you in the heart, even if it moves you to frustration or irritation, I encourage you to notice that you've been moved and to allow that movement of the heart to move you into action because that is the fundamental teaching of shamanism, that we are moved into action by the motivations of our heart. And that everything falls in line behind that to make what we've come here to do in this life a reality. And so I ask you if you've been moved by the heart in any way to do something to help to keep the show alive and on the air. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com. If you have not done so already, you can hit the support button and offer any amount, large or small. The small donations are as Um, much appreciated as the large ones. They all go directly to the bills that keep the show on the air. And I'm also grateful for the inspiration, the questions, the comments, and the ways that people are bringing the show into their lives. And so thank you all for all the things that we are doing to try to keep um, the show alive and useful and valuable to you out there all over the globe, which is a very exciting piece of this medium. So we are live this week, and you are invited to call in if you have a question about the show topic. 
and you can reach us at 512-772-1938 or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org um, with your questions and I'd be happy to read them on the air. You're also welcome to email me at any time after the show with your questions. They often turn into another show that takes the ideas of one show and brings them in another direction or deeper or um, helps us to explore those things that matter to us today. All right. So the topic of today is loneliness and solitude. And this show is a response to things going on in the world, just like the last two shows, which were a response to this um, insanity around our political discourse around family values and what's real marriage and who should get to have them and all of that craziness. Um, that was the last couple of weeks. We're moving on this week to this um, Facebook's um, debacle, as they're saying, with their IPO offering and these, um, the beginnings of articles that are coming out about, you know, is essentially is Facebook making us lonely? Now, of course, most of the authors are very quick to say Facebook doesn't make us lonely. Nothing makes us lonely. Just like any other tool, um, it's how we use it. Um, but today I wanted to explore loneliness and it, this particularly um, contemporary manifestation that um, people are talking about um, in an effort to make the show be somehow timely and relevant to your contemporary lives and not just whatever I happen to be thinking about this week, <laughs> which is, of course, interesting to me, but not necessarily to you. Um, so anyway, moving right along. So I actually did a lot of reading um, to to try to put my finger on the pulse of what the people out there are saying, all of those experts out there that write things and get them published here and there. And um, I, I had, you know, I, I, there's some things about me I think I'll just never learn. I was once again unpleasantly surprised. <laughs> I think, when am I ever going to learn? But I was really unpleasantly surprised by the fact that so many people writing out there in the internet world and in the print world were so accurate about the problem and yet left, offered no effective what to do. There was no how to. There were many, many different perspectives, like many people describing the elephant, and they were all right in different ways. But we still are somehow onbound, I believe, by our place of being someone out there who's speaking publicly to offer a way out. I mean, hello? <laughs> what is the point of continuing to talk about the problems of today if we're not going to speak either show greater insight as to why it's happening, thus assisting people in finding a way out, or just offering them a way out, for goodness sakes. So um, that's what I wanted to talk about a little bit today. And that was my profound disappointment. We seem to understand the problem of loneliness, but we don't really seem to truly understand what is required to fix it. Now, to be fair, as I often try to be fair, Part of that issue is um, that we don't like the answers that actually help us. And I understand that. As a human, there are days I don't want to do them either. (laughs) 
I know it's necessary to help, but I don't want to do it either. I get that. I mean, we're human. I get it. Nonetheless, I also realized that the logical conclusion in my life of not doing the answers that work is really a whole lot worse than this one tired, bad day that I'm having. And so I realized that part of the reason people don't offer the solutions is because people don't want the ones that work. I get that. Nonetheless, time is running out, people. Tick, tick, tick. It's time for us to start using the answers that work, whether we like them or not, and begin to change ourselves so that we can work together to change humanity so that the world can truly be a place that is good for all living things and that we need to do it now while the change is ripe and abundant. So, loneliness. So when we last visited this conversation, um, I was saying something like, uh, for those of you that don't know what I mean, because you've just joined the show, back almost 100 episodes ago, so you may not even know the show exists, um, I did a show on loneliness, and I went back to that show and read it. I didn't listen to it, but I did read my notes from it, and I quite like it, I have to admit, um, because it speaks to loneliness as a Taoistic and archetypal challenge in life, not as a, patho- a pathology, um, not as a chronic addiction to things that cultivate loneliness, but simply as an archetypal challenge that humans must meet. And, and to really understand um, loneliness as a cry for true nurturing yin solitude, which creates the context or the vessel or the space for us to meet ourselves, to come to know ourselves. And so that was the last show about loneliness. It was, almost, like I said, almost two years ago. And it's alive and well in the archives for those of you who would like to listen to it. Um, in that show, I was saying something like, to feel is not pathological. To feel bad is not pathological. To feel wholly like crap in your loneliness is not pathological. To feel numb is not pathological. To acknowledge feelings, to acknowledge these feelings, to have them and to acknowledge them is to take a real step into the real energies of your life. And to feel is to be reminded that you have a heart. And to feel lonely is to be reminded that you are simply out of alignment with the desires of your own heart and your own deeper self. And I went on in that show to talk about ways um, sort of shamanically and Taoistically to engage your loneliness as an energy or a being or a thing. And after that, I talked about courage because it does take courage to be a person who has a heart. Um, It takes great courage to live with a real open, wise, strong, and clear heart, especially today. So in that show, then I talked about courage and that the first courage comes from reminding yourself that you are not a child. Thus, you are not your emotions. So as a grown-up struggling with loneliness, you have to remember you're not your loneliness. You're not your emotions. You're not a child. That you are an energy being of infinite potential. And now you are focusing in your loneliness and focusing on your loneliness. You're focusing that infinite potential on the fact that you feel like crap. So now you and your feelings can have a breadth of separation if you recognize 
you need to not focus the power of your infinite potential on your problem, thus recreating your problem. But that you need to remember that you are this being of infinite potential and begin to act like one, even though you feel crappy and lonely. So shamanism alone can be tricky in this kind of challenging places. The helping spirits will answer any question you ask. But in our loneliness, we often ask the wrong question. We ask a question like, how do I get out of it? Or how do I end it? Or how do I make it stop? And these questions won't get you anywhere. The other thing is that psychological questions won't really get you anywhere either. Because loneliness is not a psychological problem. Now, let me say that differently. Loneliness has been acknowledged as a chronic psychological state. And I agree with that. And it's a psychological state that begins to self-propagate, self-potentiate, anyway, create itself. But loneliness in and of itself is not a psychological problem. So in other words, loneliness is a psychological state of being, but I need to apply a different set of tools if I want to change that psychological state of being. And the important thing to realize is you're quite capable of doing that, that you have spiritual skills. As, as that being of infinite potential, you have shamanic skills, you can have spiritual skills, you can have heart skills, you can even have body skills that allow you to change your psychological state without having to get into an endless and ongoing conversation psychologically about your loneliness. It is a psychological state, but not a psychological problem. And therein lies the reason so much of the writing out there about loneliness doesn't really give us a way to change it. Um, okay, so so finally in that show, I talked about transforming your loneliness into solitude, rich, yin-nourishing, heart-satisfying solitude. And um, as I was preparing then for today's um, article, one of the things I read was by um, a writer, Agape Stasinopoulos. I had to practice that last name, by the way. But anyway, she was writing about loneliness. And in this, she, she shares a lovely story about her mother, who was not a lonely person and absolutely loved her time alone and moved very easily as an everyday housewife, moved very easily and simply into solitude in her everyday life. So this is a woman that had a particular mastery over solitude and what it gives us in terms of our relationship with ourself that makes us so that we are not lonely for ourselves. Because when we are lonely for ourselves, we create that psychological state that we all identify as loneliness. So this woman who was not a shaman, she was not a Zen master, she did not meditate, she did not do Qigong, she did not do any of these things. She simply mastered the art of solitude in the midst of her everyday busy housewife life. I love the story because of that. And um, what this woman says um, about her mother is, I never saw my mother idly surfing channels on TV. She never touched a computer in her life. She never owned a cell phone. She had this ability to commune with herself and with nature and would often become lost in the moment. I remember returning home to find her enjoying her tea in the kitchen with English digestive biscuits, feta cheese, and toast, settled into the ritual of ceremony of eating, reading, writing, thinking, just being. In that presence, 
there was a sense of comfort and of room to be and to become. One would think that nowadays, between our jobs and families and social obligations, we would not have enough time to be lonely. But that's just it, isn't it? The problem with our time today is that we don't have enough time for ourselves and we are ever increasingly lonely for ourselves. We don't take the time, like um, Agape's mother, to just sit with your tea in the kitchen, with your biscuits, and to think, and to look out the window at nature, or to sit in your own garden. That to take the time, the quality time, to be disconnected from everything else in life, and to connect actively, gently, compassionately with yourself. It's beautiful. I love the story. So anyway, she continues, this writer continues, these constant superficial interactions that the, uh, in social media can create a chasm between who we show up as in the world and who we truly are in our hearts. The gap causes separation between our hearts and ourselves, which creates loneliness. It takes emotional courage to be vulnerable, especially with ourselves. And I fully agree, but then that was the end of the article. So my question as would be if I was a lonely person reading this article, but how do I do that, right? So for my taste, this purely psychological approach to defining the problem um, is missing something here. And, and in that show that I did years ago, a couple years ago, I tried to describe a path for how to begin to approach your loneliness shamanically from the heart and with an eye to the Tao. And at the same time, I just want to bring out that I think that the writing out there about how social media is interfacing with our loneliness, like we bring our loneliness to the social media, um, is is really pretty accurate that these constant superficial interactions can create a um, chasm between who we show up as in the world and who we truly are in our hearts. And so now we're back to this Taoistic concept that um, I talk about many, 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 many different ways in the show. That the heart, there's the heart and the heart protector. And so energetically, there's the inner heart, that inner self, and the outer heart, the person we present to the world. And this is not about falseness. This is how we are, that we, we have an inner self that is private. We may share this with our most intimate uh, circle, be they just our intimate partner or maybe a couple intimate friends, but that mostly we present to the world our shen, our outer heart. And there's a certain aspect of protection in that. That is wise and mature. And then in the inner world, the, the ling of the heart is that more private place. What's most important and what this writer um, Agape Stanisopoulos says well, as she describes very well how we can create such a gap between the Ling and the Shen, these two aspects of the heart, that we, we don't know ourselves. And there becomes a great loneliness as we live more and more and more into the Shen, the outer expression of ourselves, that we grow lonely for the Ling. Because just as any protector does... The protector has no reason for existence without a relationship to that which it protects. 
And so the Shen is protecting the Ling. And so we can't just be the Shen. There's no reason for the Shen to exist without the Ling. And so this is really the root of loneliness, is the loneliness of the Shen for the Ling and the Ling for the Shen. And that this, that's, this be not a great gap between them. And so, um, continuing on here. So, in the midst then of me thinking about these things, um, the Atlantic ran a cover story. The title was, Is Facebook Making Us Lonely? And this was by novelist Stephen Marsh, or Marche, I'm not exactly sure. Anyway, um, this was, then this came out right in the whole IPO offering for Facebook. And, and this, this sense, I'm sort of trying to watch that shamanically. And the sense that I get is people are starting to realize that this is all about illusion. It is an illusion. This idea that a virtual world can create for us or can substitute for us um, the substance of the heart is simply an illusion. There are many exquisite, amazing, incredible things that the virtual world can do. And we should focus on those things and expand them and grow them and enjoy them. But we need to stop pretending that virtual will ever replace the things in life that must be actual. There are simply things in life that have to come from the heart and the heart connecting with the heart so so anyway so here's this article um in the atlantic which was a long and good article and the author is quick to point out that these social media um tools are like any other tool like guns or money that they're just a tool they don't do anything they don't make us do or feel anything that the real issue is how we use them And uh, there's a writer out there, Elijah Goldstein, who says that the issue is our awareness when we are interacting, particularly on social media. And given the reprinting in the news of what passes for communication, for example, on Twitter, um, I have to agree with Mr. Goldstein. Um, I am absolutely horrified to see the kinds of things fans of different celebrities tweet to fans of other celebrities whenever they're having, you know, when Justin Bieber finally kissed his girlfriend publicly and she got death threats on Twitter. I mean, just the the level of um, the degree to which, especially the young and the young as in the immature, make their infinite potential of their humanity available to evil energies through things like Twitter and Facebook and this ease with which people would say things they would never have the courage to say to someone to their face and simply would never say to someone to their face because heart to heart, we know it's wrong. And so in that sense, in that appalling sense of how these tools are being used, yeah, I think Mr. Goldstein is completely right that there is an issue of awareness here (laughs) and that I don't know if you've ever broken up with someone these days in the days of texting and things, but people hack each other's Facebook pages. They text things they would never say in person. It's awful. And we only do that because we have this extra layer of disconnect, not connect, 
but disconnect that these techno that this technology allows us. And so obviously Mr. Goldstein has a point and he says that as a culture we are not mature enough to handle this social media technology. Um I agree. And Mr. Goldstein and others, when have we ever been mature enough to handle new technology? Like never. It sort of goes with the territory of new technology. We are not, as a species, ever mature enough to handle what we can think up. I mean, Hiroshima, I mean, come on, people. Yes, we know that. So, so while it's a good point to make, what good does that do us? Because it's not going to change the fact that we are an immature culture with social media at our hands and people are tweeting death threats to people because somebody kissed somebody. I mean, it's just absolutely bizarre. And the more important thing is the people doing it don't recognize how much they are leaving the beauty of their infinite potential as a human being open for energies that are basically cannibalistic and want to use us to do awful things. And they're letting themselves be used to do awful things because they have a Twitter account. I mean, Yes, we're not mature enough for this technology, but here it is. Here we are. And so we need to think about what are we doing and what are we doing as parents and what are we doing as people out there in the world using and potentially inventing this technology. So, as I said, you know, when have we ever been mature enough to handle new technology? Never. You know, it goes to the territory, but here we are. And more to my point... There is a hidden assumption in Mr. Goldstein's article that when we were communicating face-to-face, we actually were aware that we actually were mature enough to communicate face-to-face. And, and I would question that. Are we? I don't think so. And we're going to circle back around to that at the end of the show. I think that there's this interesting body of assumptions made out there in out there meaning where these articles are being published out in cyberspace and in the print world that somehow we were better than we were before this social media and i would say all this social media has done is exposed exactly where we really were exactly how immature unconscious unaware and disconnected we already were i don't think it's created anything i think it has simply exposed where we already were Okay, so back to the Atlantic um, article. So um, Marsh says that Facebook arrived in the middle of a, a dramatic increase in the quality and intensity of human loneliness in America. Isolation and loneliness has risen in America since the 1950s and sharply in the past decade. So Marsh says that we know intuitively that loneliness and being alone are not the same thing. Solitude can be lovely. We also know that loneliness is not a matter of external conditions. It is a psychological state. And that loneliness is an internal psychological state that is not fundamentally changed by external conditions. It is changed by our changing our internal state. And so for those of you that struggle with loneliness and depression or loneliness and isolation or however you experience that... um, Yes, it is a psychological state and it is not fundamentally changed by people who tell you, you know, just go out and do something fun. Just go out and find a new friend. Just go out and walk your dog. Just, you know, go out. It, it, it is changed by going out and doing something, by changing something external. 
that the psychological state of loneliness is created by an internal state of disconnect between the ling and the shin, between these two facets of the heart, between my conscious self and my willingness to consciously choose to take time to listen to my inner self, my true self, and to make sure that the distance between those two selves is just a little microt. You know, it's not a great chasm. So when loneliness rises to the surface, this is me now, not I won't blame this on Mars. This is, my, this is me now. So when loneliness rises to the surface of our awareness, it is an internal voice calling us into solitude and into the quality of solitude that allows us to make an honest self-connection. See, one of the quotes, so, so as I skimmed the article, Marsh is talking a lot about um, solitude. And I thought that he was really going to talk about the quality of solitude, like in the story about the woman, about the housewife, the quality of solitude necessary to not be lonely for ourselves. But the article never really went there. So anyway, the feeling of loneliness in and of itself means we are avoiding the very self we are looking for outside of ourselves when we are sitting for hours liking things on Facebook and following things on Twitter. The very, very thing we need or want isn't outside of ourselves, but we are certainly spending time and money often looking for it. So when we have the courage of heart to turn inward into the loneliness, into the solitude, and the inner self that we have isolated, we can change that fundamental condition of our psychological state. So if we restore our intimate connection with that inner self, we restore our appetite for intimacy and the authentic connection with others in the world. And this is the problem that I have with people um, telling people who are lonely to go out and make a friend. It's like, the thing is... um, In a sense, the person who is lonely is so lonely for themselves and that quality of intimacy, they can't bring the intimacy to whatever new friendship they might make. And so all of this encouraging people who are lonely to go out and do X, Y, Z just misses the point that the person needs to not go out and do anything. They need to go in. And stop looking for a solution to loneliness outside of yourself, but to recognize there is one true medicine for loneliness, and that is you. You are lonely for yourself, and it requires a kind of solitude that doesn't have to be skill-driven like qigong or meditation. It can be like this lovely housewife sitting with her tea and her digestive biscuits and looking out in nature. Right. So now granted... Granted, she spent a lifetime cultivating that ability to just do that. Understood. So for someone who's lonely, tea and biscuits probably isn't going to help you today. But my point is that we spend so much time reaching out when we are lonely. And it is a paradoxical state. You must find a way to reach in. So... I bought the magazine and read the article because of an end quote 
uh, a quote near the end of the article that said this. The danger with Facebook is not that it lets us isolate ourselves, but that it threatens to alter the very nature of solitude. That, I thought, was going to be a really interesting article. But he went in another direction with it, and he talks about how solitude used to be for self-reflection, but that now we are thinking about who we are all the time because we need to post it on Facebook. And I, I just, like I said, I assumed he was going in a different direction with that. And, and while I think that he's right, that we are thinking about ourselves superficially, sort of in sound bites and how to look good or get sympathy or whatever on Facebook, and we're not using our solitude to go within. The other thing I thought he was going to say was that our time we would have spent in solitude is now spent tweeting and liking and following and doing all that social media stuff. Um, because I think we absolutely have to understand the, the paradox here and that loneliness requires solitude so that we can come into right relationship with our Ling spirit of our heart. So we need to be able to think and to feel and connect deeply with ourselves. And I don't think we were doing that before Facebook. I mean, the rise of America's isolation and loneliness began in the 50s, right? I think in the 50s, I'm not even sure we had color TV, right? So, so this, this trajectory that we are on culturally isn't about the media. It isn't about the technology. It's about us and what we expect, what, what we think we get for how we engage with life and how distorted those expectations are from reality. So even in these reports about internet addiction, I spent a lot of time reading those, much to my disappointment. Um, they all talked about getting help to start living again, which again is making the assumption that people were living before their internet addiction. And again, I'm not sure they were. I'm not convinced we had this figured out before the technology came in to simply expose what we were doing behind closed doors. So I don't see any of this, these assumptions of these answers as safe assumptions. So how do we make the shift from loneliness to solitude and solitude into the Ling spirit of the heart? How do we make the shift from the pain and alienation that has become habit and endemic to courage and a reunion with the self. So this is just a little sidebar. This is one of the reasons that I took the Courageous Heart pieces out of my four-year training and started teaching it in and of itself. And there are three levels of the Courageous Heart, of awakening the Courageous Heart work. One requires little to no skills. The next requires the ability to journey. And the next requires actually taking some workshops. But the point is I realized it, partly from doing these shows for three plus years, if we do not fundamentally change our relationship with our heart and have the courage to awaken our hearts, none of this is going to change. I realized that underneath the ancestral healing underneath the soul retrieval work, underneath all of the other things that I was doing with people, that the most universal issue 
was the courage of the heart and that that needed to be awakened again um, so that people would have the courage to do the right thing in little ways and in big ways. Um, I used to play this game with myself. I still do sometimes, but I used to do it a lot because I had more time on my own. I used to travel a lot and had a lot of time to think about things. And I used to ask myself, if you were taken to the gods and given one choice to ask for one thing to bring back to humanity, what would it be? You've only got one opportunity. You're never going to see these gods again. You're never going to get this opportunity again. What one thing would you bring back to humanity that could actually help and not ultimately create greater harm? Because that's, of course, the problem with these tricky situations with gods and spirits is you get to have your three wishes and you wish for them and your life goes to hell in a handbasket, right? And so I used to think about this. And, and back then, my answer was courage of the heart, a little more courage of the heart. And it wasn't until just the other day as I was thinking about this show that I put these two things together. It took me decades to pull these teachings out and actually find a way to bring to people that gift from the gods is more courage of the heart. And so for those of you that are now inspired by this little sidetrack I just went on today, um, I'm teaching level two in Massachusetts this weekend and teaching level one in Seattle at the end of June. But the point is, these teachings are out here. And if you're lonely, if you can't find the courage in your heart to change yourself so that you can change that psychological state, which, which does begin to propagate itself. There's, there's research out there that shows loneliness begats loneliness in the body. It changes the physiology of the body. So if you don't have the courage to do that because of XYZ in your life has got you to the place and you need help, ask for it. There, we can begin to help you find the courage of heart to be able to do what you need to do to go into solitude, to meet your Ling spirit, and to bring that heart out. So you're not, you're not stuck. It just feels like it. So back to what I said earlier, back to loneliness. I really like the old show about loneliness right it, it it laid out a beautiful path and it was a winter path it was really a path for those long dark days in winter time now so for those of you in the summer hemisphere i would suggest you listen to that show to address your loneliness now for those of you in the northern hemisphere we need a summer path that's what i was thinking about yesterday is we need a summer path and talking to the spirits what would be a summer path for loneliness? And then I remembered, um, mostly because I was having, you know, creative block and I needed to read something, which usually means I go to Steve Bear's site to read something. Or every once in a while, my friend William Horden, who is the author of the Toltec I Ching, co-author of the Toltec I Ching, um, posts something. And thankfully for me, <laughs> since I was having a little bit of a block, um, in figuring out what would be a summer path uh, to help us to walk out of our loneliness or into and then out into ourselves and then out of our loneliness. And um, William has an article posted right now on Huffington Post called Five Thoughts for a Radiant Life. 
And I encourage you all to click over to Huffington Post um, after the show and read it. Five Thoughts for a Radiant Life, William Horden. And part of the reason I wanted to bring your attention to that article, because if I was lonely and feeling dark and small and depressed and disconnected and someone and a post came across my inbox that said, oh, William Horton has a new article called Five Thoughts for Radiant Life, I'd probably say fuck you and delete it because when I'm lonely – I feel so far away from a radiant life. The last thing I want to go is read five thoughts for a radiant life, right? Because that's the attitude. That's the psychological state we get into when we're lonely. We're grumpy and we're ornery and and we're so far away from radiance and love and all the things that are going to help us do what we need to do. And we just want to flip it off and, you know, go have another chocolate cookie. And so, well, okay, that's me. But anyway, um, so <laughs> I wanted to bring this article to your attention. Because if I were lonely, I wouldn't have wanted to read it. And in reading it, I thought, wow, this could be a summer path, a summer path into yourself and out of your loneliness. Because it really gives us a practice to bring us into that place of the courage of the heart that allows for a reunion with the self. And so I emailed William to make sure he was okay with me stealing now from his article and he said yes so here we go so William begins in his article saying that the way we are thinking and feeling all of the time forms our spiritual relationship with the world okay so for those of you that didn't quite follow that that's what I was just saying earlier in the show we are these beings of infinite potential and whatever we direct that potential towards is what we manifest so the way we are thinking and feeling all the time forms our spiritual relationship with the world so the more superficial sense of i that we experience as our private individual personality is formed by the thoughts emotions and memories we habitually fall back into whenever we are not actively engaged with the outer world and of course if we are lonely we are very likely not engaged with the outer world so what william says is this habit mind is a kind of default stance that we are most familiar with, the stream of consciousness we hear when we silently talk to ourselves. So isn't that beautiful? There's all this new age, you know, self-help, blah, blah, blah out there. But isn't this perfect? Two words, this habit mind. It's gorgeous. It's precise. The habit mind, right? So the habit mind is formed by the thoughts, emotions, and memories we habitually fall back into. And this is what's really shaping our private individual personality. Okay. So William continues, the thoughts that we think and the emotions we feel and the memories we relive by habit, these are the components of our personal life mood. Isn't that beautiful? Our life mood. Um, The relatively constant way that we have felt about our life since childhood that predetermines how we respond to what happens to us. And this was kind of my point I was saying is all of these articles assumed that somehow we were better before all this stuff happened. And like I said, I don't think we were. We had a habit mind that created a certain life mood and all this technology has done is exposed it exposed our habit mind and the life mood that that creates the psychological state that we call loneliness and here we are it's all just the habit mind creating our life mood i love it okay so william continues our life mood our personal demeanor 
our lifelong disposition pours out of us into the invisible world of spiritual cause and effect that creates change in the visible world. I'll try that again. Sorry, I got lost track there. Our life mood, our personal demeanor, our lifelong disposition pours out of us into the invisible world of spiritual cause and effect that creates change here in the visible world. In the long term, these ingrained attitudes create a stagnant relationship with the world around us. When our moment-to-moment thoughts remain the same, our personal power and success and luck remain the same. It's another way of saying that the loneliness creates a state of being in our body that begins to affect our actual biology and it affects the world around us. And this is what I mean in all of these shows when I talk about your being of infinite potential, wake up and use it because it's being used otherwise by things that are happy to use you. So back to William's thing. So our life mood, our personal demeanor, our lifelong disposition pours out of us into the invisible world of spiritual cause and effect and creates change in the visible world. So in the long term, these ingrained attitudes create a stagnant relationship with the world around us. When our moment-to-moment thoughts remain the same, our personal power and success and luck remain the same. We're stuck. So the consistent interactions we are habitually producing radiate out into the spiritual environment where they interact with those of others. It is in this realm that we can change our life for the better. When we can change our moment-to-moment thoughts, we change our personal power and success and luck. So again, what he's saying is in this world where our inner habits, thought habits, pour out into the spiritual world of cause and effect that shapes our physical world, that's where we can affect change. So I'll read his again. So the consistent interactions we are habitually producing radiate out into the spiritual environment where they interact with those of others. It is in this realm that we can change our life for the better. So if you are lonely and you do not want to be lonely, we have to affect this realm, this realm where you can change your life for the better. When we change our moment-to-moment thoughts, we change our personal power and success and luck. So here, William introduces a new idea, soul thoughts. It's lovely. Isn't that lovely? I love this. We have, what were they? We have our habit mind, right? And then we have our life mood, and now we have soul thoughts. These are great. I really encourage you all to go read this over on um, Huffington Post. Anyway, it's a little bit old, but just click around and find it. Okay, so soul thoughts. Soul thoughts express the soul's intention to live in harmony with our spiritual environment. They are interactions that we consciously take up to replace our habitual thoughts, emotions, and memories. So here we are, people. This is the answer to the question earlier in the show. How do I do it? Yes, I get, I, yes, I get that I need to make a change, but how do I do it? Here's one answer. Soul thoughts. They are interactions that we consciously take up to replace our habitual thoughts, emotions, and memories. They are not here to make you feel better or to make you not feel lonely. These steps are for you to, for you to consciously take up. You take up so that you can change your inner state of being. And in doing that, you change your life. So soul thoughts 
are ancient thoughts that evoke new emotions and memories, thereby opening the door for a new moment-to-moment stream of consciousness to pour out of us into the realm of spiritual cause and effect. By concentrating on soul thoughts, instead of allowing our habit mind to run away with us, we change our relationship to the world. So, by thinking soul thoughts instead of habit thoughts, you can change your inner state, which then changes the outer state of things. The practice of concentrating on each soul thought in turn allows us to respond to events in creative, spontaneous, and beneficial ways rather than continuing to react in predictable and habitual ways like feeling lonely. The thing about any psychological state or addiction is that it is the very definition of your habit mind, predictable and habitual, your habit mind, predictable and habitual ways. Loneliness is nothing more than this psychological state or habit. Soul thoughts resonate with the underlying harmony of the spiritual laws of cause and effect and thereby unlocking the hidden doors leading to greater personal power, success, and luck. Let me say that again. Soul thoughts resonate with the underlying harmony of the spiritual laws of cause and effect, thereby unlocking the hidden doors leading to greater personal power, success, and luck. In this sense, working with soul thoughts enhances the way we interact with others and allows us to make new kinds of decisions. Not simply more effective ones, but startling and surprising decisions that carry us into a new and more exciting life. So here is the practice. Five soul thoughts for a radiant life. So the instructions are to try replacing your self-defeating thoughts with the statements in, statements below for extended periods of time. Thinking them in your heart and feeling them in your mind to both calm the negative habits of your personality and experience the presence of your soul closer to the surface of everyday awareness. Number one. As an immortal spirit, are these the thoughts, feelings, and memories I choose to carry for eternity? Number two, what is most important is not how others are treating me. What is most important is how I am treating others. Number three, I am a well of happiness overflowing into the lives of others. Number four. I am part of a living whole that wants the best for me and all others at the same time. And number five, because everything is sacred, so am I. And so the point of the soul thoughts is not that they are affirmations and is not that in thinking them you're going to fix your loneliness. It's that in bringing these archetypal soul thoughts into your day and contemplating them, As William says, to think them in your heart and feel them in your mind. It begins to change your inner state. It begins to bring that Shen self closer to the Ling self and the Ling self out to connect with the Shen self. And and this inner relationship is changed by the thinking of these thoughts, which then allows you to, to... pour into that spiritual world of cause and effect a different kind of energy. And as you pour a different kind of energy out into that world, that spiritual world of cause and effect, your life begins to change. And when you can make this kind of fundamental shift in your inner world, 
that changes your outer world from the inside out. Then you begin to see your psychological states changing, be they loneliness or whatever. And so I'm very grateful to William for offering us this practice, which could be used as a summer path out of your loneliness. And what William says here is that ultimately, the primary lesson we learn from concentrating on soul thoughts is this. What we are looking for is not something we want to learn or understand or receive. It is something that we ourselves produce in our hearts and set forth to shine on the furthest horizon of the spiritual universe. So soul thoughts are excerpted from William's book, The Five Emanations, Aligning the Modern Mind with the Ancient Soul. And this book can be found at Amazon.com in print or as an ebook for Kindle. The companion volume is called The Spiritual Basis of Good Fortune, and it is also available in print and as an ebook. And I am grateful to William and all of the other authors whose work became part of today's show. Um, and I'm also particularly grateful for those of you who take the challenges in these little radio shows that I offer and choose to walk out of your loneliness by going in to find a new way out. And I would love to hear back from any of you who decide that you're going to commit to these five soul thoughts for the next three months and to see if they can help you to shift your life. And I'm happy to hear one way or the other whether they did or didn't. And so again, if you'd like to um, copy them, they, uh, this article, Five um, Thoughts for a Radiant Life, are Five Soul Thoughts for a Radiant Life, are on Huffington Post. And the author is William Horden, H O R D E N. Um, and I'm really grateful for everyone's work around this issue, this rising issue of loneliness. And I invite those of you who experience loneliness to recognize it as the call that it is to invite you into a deeper relationship with your true self. Because I'd love for your true self to come out in the world to bring your gifts so that those who are coming will have what they need. So I give thanks to the ancestors for gathering around us here today. I give thanks to the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. Next week, we will talk about the seeds of your soul's purpose. Many of you might remember we planted those seeds back in the springtime in an earth ritual. And next week, we're going to talk about how we might approach the coming summer solstice on our path of asking spirit for help to live the dreams we were born to bring into the world. And so next week, we'll um, explore a possible um, summer solstice ritual that would be good for um, continuing with these seeds of your soul's purpose. So for those of you that are interested in taking these teachings more deeply, please go to lastmaskcenter.org to the website and go to the calendar and you will see that um, Awakening the Courageous Heart is happening this weekend in Massachusetts. Ancestral Healing is happening here in Portland the third week of June and weekend of June and the first level of Awakening the Courageous Heart is happening in Seattle, Washington at the end of June. And the first week of the four-year training is happening out here in Oregon as a retreat. It's an opportunity to get out of your everyday life, to unplug from things, and to move deeply into yourself and your own authenticity. It's Masks of Illusion and the Authentic Self, and in this we awaken the inner healer. 
and connect once again to your authentic self, the self that knows why you are here and carries in its heart the knowing of your soul's purpose. And this begins in July out here in Portland. So if you're interested in any of that, please go to lastmaskcenter.org and click on the calendar and you can register from there. Thank you everyone and have a great week.